Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your Wild Grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. After I drove back from our writing retreat, I checked the headlines. They were incredibly depressing as a total picture. We realized that we need to have a serious conversation about what kind of country we want to live in. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsu Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Welcome to another episode. We are back from Nashville where we got to work on our book. We are so excited to be writing called Keep It Nuanced. It's the working title. And we also filmed our bonus episode for November on Patreon. If you want to get over to patreon.com forward slash pantsuit politics to become a supporter of the show. And we had this sort of insular, awesome experience talking about... Um, political dialogue, engagement, grace, and then we had to come back to the real world and an incredibly brutal story coming out of Sutherland Springs, Texas. I wanted to frame up this conversation by beginning with something that happened at home this morning. My daughter Jane is six, and at her elementary school, she is on the announcements team. So every morning she's supposed to be in the school office at a certain time, and she lines up with other kids, and they each have a role, and her role is to lead the Pledge of Allegiance for her school. And she auditioned to do this, and she takes it very seriously. She's very proud of this job that she has, and we are too. And this morning, she was very angry and upset with us because 
her dad was going to take her to school instead of putting her on the school bus because he is the coach of the academic team at the elementary school and had an early practice and I had to leave early for a meeting so I couldn't wait for the bus with her. And she was worried that she was going to miss the announcements and it was drama, drama, drama. And I felt myself getting irritated and thinking, we don't have time for this. And also, can you knock it off? But I took a minute and I said, hey, come sit with me, Jane. And we sat down on the bed and I said, how many people live in our house? She goes, four. And I said, let's talk about what all those four people need this morning. And we did that. And I said, now let's talk about what resources we have. Mom can drive and dad can drive, but that's it. And there are four of us and we all need to be somewhere different at different times this morning. So this is a puzzle that we have to solve. And that's what being a family means sometimes. There are four of us. We all need different things. We've got to figure out how we make this work all together. And we've all got to make sacrifices and trade-offs in that process. And we had that conversation, which, by the way, totally turned her around. Right after I watched the Attorney General of the state of Texas suggest on television that more churchgoers need to be armed Mm. in order for our churches to be safe. And it just really struck me that we need to talk about how, like there are four people with different needs in my family, in this country, we've got a lot of competing interests at work, but we need to find a way to accommodate all of them instead of just yelling at each other about what we want. Because I'll tell you, my reaction is... I'm not comfortable with more churchgoers being armed. And I understand that you are attorney general of Texas. Let's sit down and do this process of figuring out how we move forward from here. Yeah, I'm not comfortable with that either. I'm not comfortable living in a country where we have more guns than people, which I think we're creeping up on. I'm not comfortable living in a country where, the stream of commerce for guns is supposed to flow un completely uninhibited. It's just not it's it's just not something I'm interested in. <laughs> and I think that the saddest thought I had recently about gun violence is most of you know that when I was a junior in high school, uh, a a student at my high school. Um, opened fire on a prayer circle and killed three of my classmates. And it was a really big deal. At the time, um, Pearl, Mississippi had had a shooting, but there weren't a lot of school shootings. We made the national news for several days in a row. Uh, There were huge satellite trucks in front of my school. Um, The media impact was big, and obviously the impact on us as a community was huge and felt long after the media trucks left. And for me personally, it still has a huge impact on my life. Um, I've dealt with the PTSD and a very tragic introduction to death at 16 through therapy and lots of support, but it's still something that affects me. And I thought we wouldn't even be a blip in the news environment and surrounding gun violence right now. If they're, first of all, we don't even meet the the standard of mass shootings, which is for more people. And I just thought it's so big in my life. And to think that the progression of gun violence since I was 16 
has grown and ballooned and grown and ballooned that we wouldn't even, we probably wouldn't even make the national news. Sort of blows my mind. It doesn't sort of blow my mind. It absolutely blows my mind and it breaks my heart because I think for so long, even as someone who experienced gun violence, it felt like a static problem. It felt like a problem that we had sort of had. And yes, it was becoming a problem in schools, but we, it was, it was, it felt very much like the bargain we'd made as Americans. Like we have a lot of guns. This is going to happen from time to time. And now I'm just realizing that that's, it's not static. It keeps growing. It keeps getting worse. We can all see the difference in the way, particularly what happened in Las Vegas, that, you know, nobody else with a gun would have helped anything in that scenario, that the rate of casualties is growing at such an alarming rate. And it's just so frightening. What will it be like when my children are 16? What will it be like when their children are 16? I can't even fathom what the numbers will be like. How often will we have these? Because it is getting worse. And, you know, something like Sandy Hook, something like Sutherland Springs where you have several dead children was sort of beyond even my realm of comprehension as someone who lived through a high school school shooting. And I don't want it to be, I don't want to be in a place when my children are in high school or when their children are in high school in which we have, what, one a week where the numbers are 150, 200 people at a time, where it's, where, you know, 20 dead high schoolers doesn't make the news. I don't, I don't know where it ends. And that is terrifying. That's why I, w- I want to have a new conversation about this, because it cannot be that anyone is pleased with this reality. And hearing the president's comments about how there's a mental health angle. OK, let's talk about that. Let's talk about what that means, because, look, it's not binary. It's not that this was about guns or mental health. It's absolutely about both. It's probably about a lot of other things. We need to talk about all of that and about what we're willing to do, what we can do, what what role the government plays in this, what role non-government actors play. But we need to all come together and say the status quo is unacceptable to everyone. The thing that troubled me the most in the president's comments when he ended, he said something like, but that's how I see it. And I know that what he meant was, that's how I see it, meaning I'm not willing to take any action on guns because of this. But it kind of sounded like, that's just the price of doing business. That's the way the cookie crumbles. That's the way things happen. And I think we need to sit down and have a conversation as a country about whether we are comfortable with the idea that a price of the Second Amendment or a price of our freedom Because I hear the people who say, look, somebody just killed a bunch of people with his truck, too. What are you going to do, ban all trucks? No, no one's talking about any of those things. We need to get together and say American violence is out of hand. 
What are we all willing to do about that? Um, recently, I was listening to Rob Bell's podcast, The Rob Cast, which is kind of a silly name, but that's what it is. And he did this really great um, episode called We Are the Committee. And he talked about he got this from Chariots of Fire, that there's a scene in that movie where they wanted to change the race or change who's running the race something. And one character says, we need to ask the committee. And the other character says, we are the committee. Mm-hmm. And how often in our own lives we're going along and we're doing this and then we think, wait, I can not do this. I am the committee. I'm the committee. I'm the decision maker. I don't have to do it like this anymore. And I really feel like with gun violence, with a lot of things, I think about it every time I hear that poll, 75% of Americans don't like the direction the country's going in. Y'all, we're driving the car. We are the committee. It's not someone else. It's us. And until we decide that we are the committee and we don't like it, and see that shift, the shift in how we perceive our problems as a country, that they're not for a president to fix, that if we just wake up every four years and vote the right savior into office, everything will be okay, that we're a democracy, and it has to be all of us deciding we are the committee, not Congress, not the president, not the CEOs. We are the committee. And particularly with gun violence, you know, I'm not comfortable. If you are comfortable looking my eight-year-old in the face and saying the death of children is the price we pay for the Second Amendment, Godspeed, I'm not. I'm not comfortable. I'm comfortable having a conversation with you about that if you are, but I'm not. It's not good enough. It's not good enough. Well, and that's the point of my Jane anecdote, right? There's more than just you in the country, okay? Yep. So so for me, for my personal money, I would be open to rethinking the Second Amendment in a lot of different ways. Me too. I'm not alone here. There are people who aren't. Okay. That doesn't mean we do nothing. Hmm. That doesn't mean there's no progress. I don't believe the government can solve every problem. I don't believe the government can solve most problems. I'm not here alone. Okay. So let me get together with people who have very different perspectives, probably on both sides of where I am. And let's talk together about this. And the reason that I love what you just said about we are the committee in part is if you think about it, the most powerful voice in this whole discussion has been the NRA. Why? Because those people show up for the committee. Yep. And that's, that is the Every man, lots and lots of people paying small dues, contributing to what has become an enormously powerful conversation. And the way that organization talks about these issues is hugely influential. So let's let's do this. Like, let's come to the table with our friends and neighbors and say, what kind of country do we want to have? Does everyone at this table think that a church needs an armed security guard? Does every person at this table think that in order to go to a concert on the Las Vegas Strip, every person should have to carry a plastic bag and we should have to empty the hotels around it to make sure that that's a safe environment? Do we all want to be safe? Do we feel like we are entitled to be safe? 
What is our obligation when we're aware of domestic violence in our neighborhood? Because over and over and over again, the people who pick up guns and do things like this have shown us before that they have violent tendencies. Mm. How do we deal with this as a mental health issue without overcorrecting? You know, I heard someone say this morning, this guy, look at what he was court-martialed for in the military. He spent time in confinement and we give him a job as a security guard. Okay, there's a risk of demonizing people too much in this process too, right? Because if we say every person who's ever done something wrong can't be employed, we've got a bigger problem on our hands. So these are complicated questions with a lot of interests. There are a lot of interests in this country and a lot of people and a lot of values that really clash with one another when we're trying to make these decisions. But man, being on the committee does not mean just defaulting into these same tired fights that we have every time this news happened. And you're right. It is escalating. The fact that Columbine no longer makes the top 10 list of mass shootings in this country, that is, it cannot be that anyone is okay with that. It cannot be that anyone says that's the kind of country I want to live in. You know, I think about, I was thinking in a very unkind way about in in the face of events like this, I definitely think the number one thing Congress should be focused on is tax reform. I mean, I definitely think that's the number one problem on America's list. I say that obviously facetiously. And I just realized like when I think back of big things that Congress and our government has done. It seems like it has to be about money. The only thing they feel qualified to do or to talk about or take a position on is money. Like immigration's too hot. We can't do anything there. We can't decide as a country that we don't want to kick kids out who are brought here as children. And we can't we have to because anything, anytime, it's like money is the only thing that they can legislate around because it doesn't require this conversation. Like, even health care, in a way, is really about money. And look, guns are about money, too, no doubt about it. But I just wonder where, we, where it became that we were so scared to talk about, no, but what, what, what do we want to look like? What rights do we think are important here? It's like we're so terrified of big problems and big conversations, so we just focus on the periphery and money and corporations and money and regulations and money and taxes and money, but nothing big, nothing like, okay, is the second amendment still serving us? Because if you are a person that believes we shouldn't touch the second amendment, I want you to realize that the other thing that's changing in this country from when I was involved in a school shooting in high school is that people are becoming, instead of saying, well, it's a part of our, it's a part of our constitution I hear more and more and more, well, that was a mistake and we need to look at it. Not let's look at it and let's work with it. Let's go back to the drawing board because so if it's something that you're interested in protecting, realize that hard lines in the sand can sometimes make you end up losing more than you would have if you've compromised in the beginning. And there are limits to what legislation can do here, no doubt. I don't think that that means... Congress can't have a leadership role. As you were saying that about money, it flashed me back to my very early days out of law school when I did some domestic relations work. And I would have clients in divorces who were going through 
the hell that you go through when you end a relationship. And they would call me and talk for a long time about the emotional side and the impact on the kids. And I was a very young lawyer and I was overwhelmed by what my hourly billing rate was. And I had no experience handling these issues, but I really knew what I was doing in terms of money. And there would be a moment when I would say to people, I just want to tell you that I have to charge you for the time that we spend on the phone together. And all I can really do for you is money. And I think that talking with someone who is trained to help you work through the rest of this might be a better use of your resources right now. I'm happy to listen to you. I just want you to understand that in terms of what I can advise you on, it's mostly money because that's what the law is there to do, right? The law in a divorce situation is not helpful to the absolute most important parts of family dynamics going forward. It's just there for the money. And in some ways, that's why a lot of what Congress does is about money, because that's what the law, the law is best suited to handle the property aspects of things. But leadership and our, I think our senators and our representatives should be leaders involves stretching what you're capable of doing. And it might mean sometimes That instead of marching out to tell us why this isn't a gun problem, our Congress people march out and say, there's a lot here and some of it is a gun problem and we need to talk about that. And some of it we can solve with new laws and some we can't. And some of it we need to solve by funding the laws that we have. You know, it's true that we have some systems in place designed to prevent criminals from getting guns that don't function very well Mm -hmm. and need to be updated. You know, we have much better technology than we make available to enforce our existing laws. Can we talk about that? Can we talk about spending some money to update those systems for all the people out there who say, well, let's enforce our existing laws? Good. Let's put that on the table. I, I, I just think we need to have... An understanding that in order for this conversation to move forward, we all have to get together and recognize that we probably do need some new laws and some new money, and that is not the totality of what will solve this problem. And mental health is everyone's responsibility, and Congress can help with that and not completely fix it, but we should keep trying. We should keep working together towards something better And we have to have some kind of common vision about what that something better looks like. Can we not today, after this horrible thing has happened, agree that we want people to feel safe in public spaces? Mm. Can we get on that page altogether? Because I don't hear that. Yeah, I'm just trying to think if there's anything else that we could all agree on. Like, do we want to feel safe? Would we like these to stop happening at a more rapid pace? Would we like the numbers to stop going up? Surely that's something we can agree on, but I'm scared it might not be. Well, there are other aspects of the headlines this week that we want to spend a minute talking about because they also go to what kind of country we want to live in. So we'll take a quick break and come back and do that. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and June has you covered. 
We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box. Salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college, y'all. He's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. So another aspect of the news that we found out about when we exited our glorious little writing alcove was that 
Another member of the Trump administration, Wilbur Ross, had undisclosed financial connections to Russia. So I had been driving back listening to, I'm still listening to Hillary Clinton's audiobook, uh, What Happened? And she had just done the chapter on emails, which was incredibly frustrating. And I was listening to the chapter on Russia in which she makes no bones and I am beginning to make no bones about the fact that this was an attack. This was an act of war, only just not one that we're usually comfortable talking about um, or recognizing as an act of war. Um, the the coordination, the um, just the desire of Russia to disrupt the Western alliance, to undercut the European Union and um, all these things working apart. And they're just sort of brazen ability to interfere in our election is so terrifying. And so then to come out and see... This, I mean, corruption is the right word, is it not? So here's what I think about that. This morning on Morning Joe, they had a headline about connections to Putin's cronies. And Chad, my husband, looked at me and said, you know, I think using cronies is irresponsible in this headline. And I said, I agree with you. However, if I were going to be in a cabinet position... I would figure out how to fully disclose my interests. I don't buy the argument for a second that these people have so much money everywhere they can't possibly tell us what it is. I don't have experience with people as wealthy as the Trump cabinet, but my experience with wealthy people in general is that they know a lot more about their money than I do about mine. Okay, that's just it doesn't make sense to me that he didn't know. And it doesn't make sense to me to have a pattern and practice of people forgetting to disclose connections to Russia. It's not like, oh, somebody left off something about Australia over here and Indonesia over there. No, it always goes back to Russia. And so at some point you do have to say, I'm out of benefits of the doubt to give. And that's where I am. I'm out of benefits of the doubt to give because this has become such a pervasive. There's such a pervasive truth telling problem with this administration and if I had Russian interest as a business person and and my stance was totally legitimate, I'm an international business person. I've got interest everywhere. There's nothing wrong with that. I would disclose it. I disclosed my parking tickets before I took the bar exam because I was asked to swear I've told you everything I know. Right. And I just don't understand the carelessness about this if there isn't something to be concerned about. Well, because the other thing that was right next to this revelation is that there is a Russian investor in Facebook and Twitter, a large investment investor in Facebook and Twitter, who's um, despite the desire to obfuscate through shell companies, seems like a lot of his money came from the Kremlin, which like, again, all this, these, the the Russian um, interference in the election, the increasing flow of revelations about how much money was spent, how many people were reached by these ads, in combination with now there's this huge investor involved with Kremlin money and our social media companies. Like, I don't, when we're getting back to to what kind of country we want to have, let me just go on the record. I don't want to have a country like Russia. I don't want to be like Russia. If I wanted to be like Russia, I'd move to Russia. Like, I'm not interested in having an autocracy. I like the republic that we live in. And it's just 
concerning this sort of creeping, um, expanding, incredibly well-funded presence in our democracy. And so in the vein of what kind of country do we want to have, I've been reflecting on some things that I've gotten wrong in my political philosophy because I am and have been the epitome of what the Steve Bannon folks hate. I am a globalist. Okay. I like free trade. I like immigration. I think trade deals with other countries are instruments of peace and prosperity. I have no problem with investors in America spreading their money all over the globe and with people in other countries investing in businesses here. And that has been my philosophy for my adult life. As long as I've had an opinion about these things, that's been my opinion. And I am starting to question whether I've been right about some of that. Hmm. Now, I'm not questioning from a Let's shut down the borders. Like where I go from there is not the populist vision and the nationalist vision that Bannon espouses. But I'm willing to sit down at the table and say, have we taken this too far? Should you have to disclose more, even if you're not a part of the cabinet? You know, if you have these interests, how, how can we make how can we at least bring more sunlight to all of this? Do we need to question some of our. Um, business interests that span the globe? Do we need to question the types of investments we're willing to have come into American countries? I'm not saying I will go super far from where I've been on those things, but it's another thing where I recognize there are other people in the country who have different perspectives than I do. And I am seeing that my philosophy opens a lot of doors for corruption, particularly when there isn't transparency, and even more so when it seems today as though a president, you know, lying about sex used to be an impeachable offense. And today we have an administration that looks to me like it's drowning in perjury and nobody cares. So if we don't have mechanisms that put some guardrails up around free trade and around globalism, we've got a real problem on our hands. So so let's sit down and talk about that, because I don't want to live in a country where our cabinet members are omitting material information in their testimony to Congress. I don't want to live in that country. And I don't want to live in Russia either. I agree with you about that. The best part and the irony of all this is that these this administration came to power bashing on globalism while exploiting globalism for its own personal wealth, which is oh, just the irony of it all. Um, and I think that, you know, something that I had a conversation with a friend of mine who's, you know, super liberal, but he lives in L.A. and he was like, you know, this is a weird thing for me to say as a liberal, but this f- just never-ending flow of foreign investment into United States real estate is having a negative impact on American citizens. A lot of the reason people can't afford to live in Los Angeles and San Francisco and New York City um, is because there is such an influx of foreign investment in Chinese and Russian investors just parking their money in American real estate. And they sit empty. They're not even people living there. And he was like, I mean, I don't know. I I guess we can't just say only American citizens can buy American property. He's like, but the impact on us is huge. And it doesn't seem to be something that we're talking about at all. Because we certainly want to have a country where 
the citizens of the country can afford to live there. I think we can all agree on that. Yeah. I mean, again, this is no one has run on a vision in a long time, except Donald Trump, I guess. And his vision, I think, as he articulated it, is super divorced from the reality of what he would create. Um, and so let's let's talk about all of it. Let's talk about what our vision is. Like, what do do we want people to be af- able to afford houses? I mean, it doesn't look like it through our actions in cities all across America. It doesn't look like it. Well, do we la- want to continue on that path? So I guess the last thing also that just left me feeling so depressed and overwhelmed was the actions of the Saudi Arabian prince, crown prince, in massive arrest and really condensing his power seemingly with some sort of coordination or encouragement from the Trump administration. All very, not just disturbing, but sort of like such high level. It feels like a universe that I don't inhibit but that has huge impact on my life in ways I probably don't understand, which makes it even scarier. I want to do some research and do a primer on Saudi Arabia because I think there is so much going on that we need in terms of context. I don't know if I can form an intelligent opinion about this yet. I understand that the prince is hugely popular, that there is a lot of corruption in the Saudi Arabian government that needs to be addressed, it does look like he is taking a very authoritarian approach to addressing those issues. So I'm not sure there's anything clear cut here. I agree with you that as part of the overall news cycle, it's very heavy to watch a country like Saudi Arabia going through something like this when we don't feel when there are so many other things that make us feel vulnerable and that make the world feel um, like there are volcanoes everywhere that could erupt any second. Mm. I th- I think I feel that sense when I think about the fact that the American president is in Asia right now uh, f- for a number of purposes, but a major one to deal with the continued threat posed by North Korea. And then you have this kind of upheaval in Saudi Arabia, which is sort of a longtime frenemy of the United States. And then at home, we have 28 people murdered in their church. It's a lot. It's a, it's lot, a lot to take in. Not to mention you didn't even put Russia in that list. Right. And it's a lot at a time when the American Congress is singularly focused on tax reform because that is a political <sighs> objective for them. And we have administration officials who appear to have at best perjured themselves. And we have a special counsel issuing indictments. I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot. And to your point, we are the committee. And so we've got to get together in our homes and neighborhoods and stop saying it's a lot. So I'm going to turn it off and instead say, it's a lot. And I want to talk about what we can agree on. Let's just stop saying America's so divided. Fine. What can we agree on? And how can we make some steps forward from there? And I think what I have to give myself a little grace about is that I just have to remind myself that for most of human history, 
the amount of information a single person could take in about these sort of global forces was so limited. And our brains have not quite fully evolved to deal with the anxiety-producing effect of understanding, um, still in a limited way, but in a much broader, bigger, more complicated way, global forces, global events, um, political players. And so I just have to tell myself, like, I don't know if it's necessarily worse or if we just know so much more. (laughs) And, you know, let that sit and remind myself that there is, you know, I still have beautiful children and the sun is shining and sort of perspective is important both ways, scaling up and scaling back. But it is incredibly disheartening and discouraging. And I just think also we have to feel that and let that sink in. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online, and we were discussing the fact that I am 43, and she said, I cannot believe how young you look, and I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. 
Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy Filtered Showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy Filtered Showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. My pastor, Pastor Susan, who is a Pantsuit Politics listener now and who I adore, told this story at church. Um, it's from a Native American kind of teaching about how all of us have two wolves fighting inside us. One is vengeful and angry and violent, and the other is loving and compassionate. And a grandfather explains this to his grandson, and the grandson says, well, which of these wolves will win if these two are always in me fighting? And the answer is the one that you feed. And I think it's so good. And I think that as we are consuming all of these things at a rate that has not happened in the history of civilization because of our technology, we have to ask ourselves which one of these wolves we want to feed because we can take this and do what we seem to be doing now, which is saying, well, in America, we're so divided because there is not a headline now that comes out where you I mean, we can just predict the two talking points about every headline, right? And how we're going to battle this out and get nowhere. That's the one we're feeding today. So we got to feed the other one and look for what kind of country do we want to live in? What do we all agree on? And there are going to be sacrifices and compromises. We only have so many resources and we only have, you know, we've got these perspectives and we have these realities. What do we want to do from here? What's on your mind outside of politics, Sarah? Yeah, let's feed another wolf for a change. Yes. Um, What is on my mind outside of politics is everybody act surprised. Moving for real this time, though. Wednesday, the movers come and move our furniture. So, like, this is, like, the real we're actually going to start living in this house now situation. Are you sad? No, but I'm very overwhelmed. I just have... An incre- For a 1,900-square-foot house, I have an incredibly large collection of, like, wall art. Like, I bet I had over, I don't know, 150 things hanging on the wall. And now I have to decide what to, where to put them, and that gives me a little bit of anxiety. But I did have paint a painter come while we were on our retreat and I have like this beautiful dove white hallway now and foyer and a navy blue office that is the prettiest place you've ever seen in your life. I need to put some pictures up. The navy is so on point. I don't even know what to say. I, I can attest to the fact that Sarah's very excited about her navy blue office. <laughs> oh my God, that's all I could talk about. So for me, I wanted to link this article for everyone to read from the New York Times. It's a piece about a woman who was a bartender, and she had a customer come in regularly, and they developed a friendship. And it wasn't a romantic relationship, 
but it was it was just something she couldn't put her finger on what what kind of relationship it was and she spent a lot of time with this guy and it and they they never really defined what they were to each other and he died and she felt strange about her role in commemorating his death and what would his friends think of her because she wasn't really connected to any of them. And it's this beautiful kind of exploration of what this relationship meant to her and how she she didn't have a label for it. And it just got me thinking so much about platonic relationships and especially relationships between men and women and how important those are and how terribly bad we are at recognizing the value of those relationships. It's almost like we don't know how to, if we can't put a Facebook status on what two people are to one another, we don't value that enough. And it, I think that there's something to talking about these relationships in this moment when we're dealing with harassment in the workplace and sexual harassment and gendered issues generally. I think there's something to like, Hey, let's talk about how loving friendship is super important for everyone. So um, we talked about this a little bit at our retreat. I have two very beloved male friends that I um, have had since college. They're about two years younger than me. Um, They sang at my wedding. They sang at my um, 10-year vow renewal. We, I forced them to be in a book club with, I sort of forced them to be my friends, but that's another story. Um... But when I look back over the, our, you know, several, almost coming up of two decades of friendship, they have given me so much. And I am a, I am a woman who really values female friends. I have sister friends, friends I call often, I talk to in crises, but like also just sort of ongoing conversations, women really, really important to my life. But the friends, this, the friendship that I've had with Mike and Smith is very different and, um, in a way that has made me a better person. The our conversations are different, but and challenging. And um, I think that the and different in a way than my relationship with Nicholas. Obviously, even though Nicholas and I are very, I mean, he's my best friend. But just the our relationship with with each other as you know, it's just one of the most cherished things in my life. And you know, I can't imagine. I think being a mother to boys would have been so much more daunting had I not been, because I don't have brothers. Um, I have half brothers that I never grew up with, but like just to, to have them in my life and sort of see masculinity in a different way outside of sort of a romantic framework has been um, such a gift. I mean, and they're they're just, they're two of my most favorite people on the planet. Those two are just so special to me, and it's I would wish it for anybody. I think it's such a gift. I have a lot of relationships in my life that sort of don't have a good label to put on them. And I always have. Even when I was in, like, high school, I had pretty deep friendships with people who were quite a bit older than me. I've always been kind of an old soul and kind of a weird person and not someone who is, like, going to hang out all the time. I'm not a good hanger out. That's okay. I've accepted this about myself. But because of that, I have a lot of these relationships that don't have an easy, an easily understood label. But I love these people, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think we need to be able to say that more freely. And sometimes I don't because I do feel like everyone thinks, well, that like 
these, you know, that gets weird, right? Like yeah. you don't, you don't want to be misinterpreted as romantic. And how sad is that? Like, it and I can't, sad. the thought that someone in my life could die without knowing that I love them. Listen, I want to love everybody. I want to be in love with everyone around me. Right. And not in a romantic way, but just in a, a fully present, awake, I care about the people who are with me. I want to feel that way about my dog. I listened to uh, Shirley MacLaine's fantastic interview on Oprah's podcast. I love Shirley MacLaine. I want to go way out there with Shirley MacLaine. (laughs) But one of the things that she said as just a principle in life is that you should learn more from animals than you think you can. And I totally feel that about my little schnauzer. And I look at the connection between my schnauzer and my two-year-old And that is the purest definition of love that I've ever seen. It's just Mm -hmm. so beautiful. And I just want to, I want to just dive right into all of that stuff, you know, and how, how sad that I would ever not say to someone regularly, I love you because someone might interpret that as like something inappropriate outside my marriage. I'm confident enough in my marriage to say I can love lots of people and it have no threat at all on that relationship. So I just, I want us to open up to that. And I thought this article was a beautiful invitation to do that. So thank you for joining us for another episode of Pantsuit Politics. We will be back with you on Friday. And until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Thank you so much to our executive producers, Nicholas, Chad, Tracy, Leslie, Sabrina, and George. You can join us on social media, Instagram and Facebook at Pantsuit Politics and on Twitter at Pantsuit Politic, no S. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com or reviews are always helpful and you can leave one through the Apple Podcast app. Thank you to Dante Lima, the composer of our Pantsuit Politics theme music.